pick up where we left off last week. Jesus was about to have breakfast with his disciples after revealing himself to them, starting in verse 15 of chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad many of the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that this testimony is true. Now there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, I asked him to read that because I love this text so much that if I started reading it, I would talk and we would never get through. And um, um, Next week, we'll wrap up this little series we've been doing since before Easter called Epic Story. And I think, um, I think we would all agree who have embraced this that the gospel is the only real epic story that the world has ever, ever heard. It really is. I mean, we can hear a lot of epic things going on in our world today, and I know that word means a lot. But um, these last few days or last few weeks have reminded me of how powerful the gospel is. Uh, it really is. I, uh, you know, I, I, I see a lot of things in our world, but, you know, one of my one of my kind of foundational verses in life is where Paul said in Romans that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, singular, is singular, the, singular, power, singular, of God, to everyone who believes. And in the course of my life, I will tell you that uh, I don't need to look outside of myself to see the power of the gospel, but I can see it outside of myself. I see it here this morning. How many of you have been changed by the gospel? How many of you are currently being changed by the gospel? <laughs> and you know, it's a power that just keeps on, keeps on 
being powerful. It never ceases. And, you know, I, I just think this story that we're going to look at this morning is so powerful. And I think it's interesting that, in my mind, in what I understand, the first recorded question that Jesus asked Peter, now maybe there were other times he asked questions, but the first recorded question that Jesus asked Peter after he had denied him, he died, and after his resurrection was not, Peter, why did you deny me? Um, it wasn't um, Jesus saying to him, I told you so, which is what I would say. <laughs> Instead, Jesus engaged in Peter what Peter would need to remember for the rest of his life. And that was, he needed to remember that regardless of his failures, deep inside, God had placed in him a love for him. A love that was much deeper than um, he could ever imagine. In fact, God had placed in him a love that he would never, ever, ever be able to return. And we're going to see that in the text this morning. And I want you to capture something this morning, and simply what I want you to capture is we all, every one of us, have experienced monumental failures in our life since we gave our life to Christ, haven't we? Anybody here not failed at all since you came to Christ? Okay. It's unanimous. The only reason I raised my hands, I'm trying to get you to, if you, so I would say no. We've all, we've all experienced what we perceive to be monumental failures in our life. Um, and, you know, I think it's, um, it's important for us to remember that in the grace of God, failures are not final. Uh, last week, I shared with you some significant moments in my journey, and really what I kind of shared with you were some of the highlights of my spiritual growth and development, places in my life where I've had encounters with Jesus, but I didn't really share with you any of the failures of my life, and um, Maybe I'll do a little of that at the end this morning. I'm not going to tell you everything because then you would judge me. <laughs> and then I could judge you. <laughs> but the truth is, while I can look back and rejoice at the high moments in my life, the, the more difficult part for me many times is remembering the times that I failed to follow Jesus and frankly, for me, it was because of my fear of men or my pride. Um, but to be deeply honest with you this morning, my faith has probably been shaped more by God's graciousness to me in the midst of my failures than it has been shaped by the high moments of what I would perceive to be my successes. What I've learned over the years is that even in every day of my life, every experience of my life, that God just keeps loving me. Um, God keeps pursuing me. God continues to discipline me. That's 
not a fun part, but that's the way we know him because he, those whom God loves, he disciplines. And the Bible says he scourges every child. What I've also learned is that God doesn't give up on me. I really believe that if you were to look at this moment in Peter's life, this has become sort of the no turning back moment in his life. And I, I just think that it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, have we had that no turning back moment in our life? doesn't mean there's not times when we fail, that we make mistakes, but have we literally had that moment in our life where we say, from this day forward, I don't have the option of permanently not following Jesus. And even when I fail, I'll have to follow him because he's the only one who can redeem me. The truth is, we're still part of the story. We're not the subject of the story. We never have been the subject of the story. The story of the gospel is the story of Jesus. But we're part of the story today. Some reason, God in his providence and sovereignty has chosen that the story continues in the lives of people who know him today. Actually, uh, there's a great church growth movement or a church planting movement across our world that claims the name Acts 29. If you open your Bible, you'll see that there is no Acts 29, but there is, and the truth is, we're still writing it. The question is, am I going to join the story? Am I going to participate with God in what he's doing in our world, and how do we do that? I think when you look at this text this morning, you're going to see some secrets that Peter learned that we can learn, and if we learn what Peter learned, we'll learn that we can be part of the story. And there are four of them, not three, four, that I want us to look at this morning and then we'll come back and close, and I want to share some things with you about my own journey. What are some things we learn from this story, some actions that we can take in joining the story of the gospel today? The first thing I think we learn in this passage of Scripture, and I think Jesus was teaching Peter, is that if God was going to use him, he had to settle his affections. He had to settle his affections. He had to deal with this whole issue of love. And, and I would ask you this morning, and I, I want you to think about this with me this morning. If, if you were honest this morning, ask yourself this question. What do you love most in this world? What are you most affectionate for in this world? Now, I know because we're all Christians that our immediate response is going to say, well, it's God, it's Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Is that really manifested in the way we live out our life? Is it really there? You see, your affections matter. What you love matters greatly. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. He didn't say keep my commandments and you'll love me. We're not talking about a doctrine of works. We're talking about a doctrine of expressing, expressing our affection, our gratitude toward God. In this text, Peter acknowledges that he loved Jesus, but he refused to ever put his love for Jesus at the same level of Jesus' love for him. 
Notice again, the repetitive questions of Jesus. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. And he said unto him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now, unfortunately, the English translations don't really capture the essence of this text because it doesn't show the kind of love Jesus was asking for and the response that Peter was giving. You see, in America, we only have one word for love, and it's just love, isn't it? I mean, that's just it. And so we use the same word love to talk about our affection for our, our, our spouse or our children, or, or, or we use the same word to talk about our affection for God, or we use the same word to talk about the way we like ice cream. But the Bible doesn't do that. In fact, the, the language of their day specified the kind of love that they were expressing, and Jesus used an interesting word here because what he asked Peter every time, he said, Peter, he said, uh, do you agapeo me? Do you agape love me? Do you love me sacrificially? Do you love me unconditionally? And what's interesting is Peter's response to that was a different word because he didn't use the word Agapeo, he actually used the word phileo, which is a, an affectionate kind of love. And two times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me sacrificially? Do you love me unconditionally? And two times Peter said, Lord, I, I, I love you affectionately. Um, after studying this this week and kind of thinking about my own life and thinking about Peter and where he was, I think after having denied Jesus, he might have thought it might be a little boastful for me to now say I love you unconditionally because I sure didn't prove that. And here's what Peter realized in that moment that every one of us in this room needs to realize every moment of our life. We will never, ever, ever be able to love God the way he's loved us. Never. But Peter was honest. And Jesus knew. He said, Lord, you know I have a deep affection for you. And he knew that to be true. And so Jesus finally says to Peter, okay, Peter, do you love me affectionately? At this point, Peter, saddened, says to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, boss, you know everything. You know the affection I have for you. You see, Jesus knew, and I really believe this, Jesus knew that he was asking from Peter something that he couldn't actually give in return unless God had given it to him. 
That's why the Bible says these words. We love God because, what is it? He first loved us. You see, I believe Jesus had reserved this question for Peter for just this moment in his life. Peter was living in the shadow of his denial, and he knew better than to boast of his ability to love Jesus unconditionally. So with deep honesty, Peter responds with all that he had to offer to Jesus a deep sense of affection. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus accepts it. Think about the love of Christ in our life and what it does for us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he says the love of Christ controls us. Not my love for Christ, but the love of Christ controls us. Actually, one translation says the love of Christ constrains us. It constrains us. We've concluded that this, that one died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. And then he said this, for now on, or for from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. You know how much flesh gets in the way of me loving people? You know how much Facebook gets in the way of me loving people? Jesus said, bless those who curse you and do good to those who do all manner of evil against you for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You see, if you're going to stay engaged in the story, the first thing you must do is you must settle your affections. Now, once you've done that, you can now set your motivations because if you, you begin to love God, even with a deep affection, now all of a sudden it begins to shape your motivations you see, in our faith systems, motivations are more important than our actions because motivations determine the longevity of our faith. Motivations matter. How many of you have ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Every husband in the room, raise your hand. <laughs> you selfish bunch of people. But is it not true? That we can do the right thing for the wrong reason? I mean, we're all involved in that. And Peter was going to effectively live out the purpose and plan that Jesus had called him to live. He needed to really get his motives into the right place. Now, we're going to see in a minute they're still not there. But he had to check his motives. You see, we live in a world where everybody's talking about how you need to make a difference. And I'm not saying you shouldn't make a difference in the world. But I can tell you what, if your motivation is simply to make a difference in humanity, you're going to wear out real soon. In fact, uh, Oswald Chambers wrote these words and just quotes on your outline. This is not scripture, this is Oswald Chambers, but I thought it was a great quote. He says, if we're devoted to the cause of, hum of humanity, we'll soon be crushed and brokenhearted. If you're devoted to the causes of humanity, you will soon be crushed and heartbroken. But if our motive is to love Christ, no ingratitude can hinder us from serving 
our fellow men. You see, Jesus is now exposing the motive of Peter's heart. Um, Truth is, this is being played out in our world today. Um, and, and, And it's interesting to me because, look, the world is trying hard to fix itself. Have you noticed that? But it's amazing where Jesus enters into the hearts of people and he radically changes their hearts. It's those people that make a difference. And they don't make a difference with all this stuff. In fact, a lot of times they don't have any stuff. They're like Peter and John when they go to the temple just a few days later and they say to to, to the, the, the man, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I was reading this week. It's, it's been an interesting. This was interesting for me this week because I was thinking about a place in a, places in the world where people genuinely have a love for their fellow men. They don't have stuff to fix all their problems, but they love them. And I was thinking about places, and I read an article this week, and, and this is interesting. Some of you may know the answer to this. Do you know where they think maybe the church is growing faster today than in any place on the planet? Does it, anybody read this, this article this week? Anybody? Where was it? It was Iran. 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 I, that's what I would do if I was there. I'd run. Okay. <laughs> now get this. This is one of the most illegal places in the world for you to be a Christian. But the gospel is growing faster there than it is here. What's interesting is I read that article and I went to get my truck fixed. You'll love my truck now because I can sneak up on you. It's not making noise anymore. <laughs> I got the muffler fixed on it. So. But I took it down to the guy and he is an Iranian Christian. He's been in America for quite some time. And he's an Iranian Christian. And I was telling him, hey, I was reading an article this week and it says that Christianity is rapidly growing in, in Iran. And he says, doesn't surprise me at all. I said, what do you mean? He said, because those people are willing to die for their faith and Americans won't live for it. And then he said this, and unfortunately, I've become an American. And I've begun to love the pleasures of the world more than I care about the hurts and the spiritual needs of people. I said, would you come and tell our church that? (laughs) He said, you know, Jim, having grown up in Iran, he said, I know the Christians there only have one motivation in their life, and that is the people who are trying to kill them might know the truth of Jesus. You see, your motivation matters. It really does matter. Once we've settled our affections and set our motives, we are in a position now to receive or secure God's calling in our life. We need to secure our calling now. Now, what has God called us to do? Jesus has said to Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I have affections for you. Do you love me unconditionally? You know I have affections for you. Okay, Peter, do you love me with deep affection? Lord, you know everything. And then Jesus says to Peter, And in the text of Scripture, he's telling him the whole time what his calling is, is what he's telling him to do. Because after each question, 
Jesus asked Peter, he reveals another responsibility. He, he, he reveals his calling to him. He says after his first answer, he says, I want you to feed my lambs. Secondly, he says, I want you to tend my sheep. And then lastly, he says, I want you to feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, you will become responsible to walk with people through every stage of their spiritual development. You've been called to nurse the babes, to give them the milk of the word. You've been called to be patient with the adolescents. And you've been called to equip adults for the works of ministry. Now, I know you get sick of me saying this, but just get over it. How many times have you heard me say, you need to find out where you are right now in your faith and make a commitment to move forward? I mean, some of you haven't ever been baptized. You say you've given your life to Christ. Now, baptism doesn't save you. I mean, if you get in the water and you're not saved, when you get out, all you do is get wet. <laughs> but if you're saved, why wouldn't you get in the water? Jesus said, if you won't confess me before men, I'll not confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Well, I've done that. I got baptized. Well, where have you gone from there? Have you taken membership class? You taken one-on-one? How about maturity? Are you maturing in your faith? Do you know how to read your Bible? How about ministry? Are you engaging in the ministry of the church? I mean, we're running out of workers in children's ministry over there. Why? Do you, son, do you understand how much junk is being bombarded on our kids today? What about ministry? What about mission? I mean, when was the last time you opened your mouth a non-believer and said, hey, Jesus loves you? Well, they might not like it. But they're not going to like it if you don't tell them. You see, and all of these are growth things for us. This is just a growth process. We didn't put these things in place because so I, I need something else to do. All of these things are designed to help you grow. Our church is built on seven core commitments. This is it. If you want to know what we want for every believer in Christ, we want you to discover and grow in these areas. We want you to grow as a, as a believer in Jesus. We want you to grow as a Christian. Secondly, we want you to grow as a member of the body. You need to get to know this church. There's really some cool people in here. Some really bad ones too, but there's some really... No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> but even the bad ones are cool ones. Uh, you talk about membership. We're talking about maturity now. We want you to grow in relationship to Christ and grow in relationship to the church. We want you to grow in, 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 in how you read and study your Bible and how you pray. It's called maturity. Our, our 201 class deals with three basic habits of Christian life how you read your Bible and how you pray. It involves this issue that we call small groups. There we go. And here's another one. You ready for this one? It's the T word in the Bible. One guy said, what's that word in the Bible called tithy? called tithing. Well, I don't want to hear about that one. You need to hear about it. Why? Because you can't grow in Christ 
You know, you get baptized, we don't say, okay, take your wallet and hold it out of the water and we'll put you under. <laughs> Can I tell you something? When Jesus is Lord of your life, he's Lord of your pocket. Aren't you glad you came today? God wants you to discover your gifts and abilities in ministry. Do you know every one of you who's saved has a unique gift the Holy Spirit put in you and he expects you to use it for the building up of the body of Christ? What about mission? Being on mission with God everywhere you go. See, we're the church in here today, but we're the church out there this afternoon and tomorrow. We're not more of the church in here when we're in here we're not less of the church when we're out there. We're just the church. That's who we are. It's in our doctrinal study this week. You don't go to church. You are the church. And wherever you go, God's called you to be a witness. He didn't say go and make disciples. He says, as you go, make disciples. If you had children and they weren't, they were infants and they weren't gaining weight, would that bother you? If they started gaining weight, but two years in they can't talk or communicate, would that bother you? If the, one day they don't get a job and pay their own way, would that bother you? <laughs> You guys know what I'm talking about? The kids are going, I don't want that job. No. Sure, it bother you. Well, why wouldn't it bother God that those things are not developing in our life? Why would it not bother the pastor or the leadership of the church? See, God's called every one of us to do something. Every single one of us. What would happen if the church, if everybody discovered how God shaped them and began to use their gifts and ability in serving God and other people. Secure your calling. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said, tend, tend my lambs, tend my sheep and, 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 and then feed my, my sheep. We don't all have the same responsibility in the body of Christ. But please hear me. Everybody, everybody is somebody in God's body. And here's the decision. When it was said and done, here's what Jesus said to Peter. Tend, feed, lead. And then he said, but Peter, here's the reality. You just follow me. Well, how do we do that? Well, let's conclude with this. We surrender our rights. You know, Peter slips back into being Peter. And he starts looking around. Do you ever start looking around? Have you? Ever started looking around? 
you may, you know how most of the time when I get most messed up spiritually is when I start looking around. That's what Peter did. John's kind of behind him. The disciple Jesus loved, of course. Okay. And Jesus tells Peter, when they assumed that this is what kind of death Peter was going to die, and Peter starts going, wait a minute. He looks around, he sees John. Well, what about him? What about him? And uh, I love what Jesus said. Jesus said to Peter, he said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let me give you a southern translation of that. It's none your business. <laughs> um, so confession's good for the soul, right? A few months ago, I got a call from a dear friend of mine in Texas who I worked with, and he doesn't even know this, and believe me, he's not listening to my tapes on podcasts, so we're safe, but, um, but he called me and he said, my wife and I are going to be coming to Orange County, we'd sure love to see you and Carol. And I said, oh, cool, that'd be great, good to see you. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. And um, he said, how's your work going? It's going good. It's going good. Um, and then I asked him, how's your work going? And uh, he told me, <laughs> he told me his church is now running about 8,000 people in five separate locations. And, um, and I became Peter. He said, oh, cool. So he said, you know, we'll call you before we come. And um, we were supposed to go down and have lunch with them and just some things were going on. He texted me one day, if you, if you can't come, we understand. And the morning of, I got up and I thought, you know, I don't want to hear it. So I texted him and said, hey, actually, this is confession to my wife. I said, my wife's back's not good. We're not going to make the trip. <laughs> Sorry, Carol. And I missed an opportunity. to be encouraged by one of the most encouraging men I've ever known. Because I said to Jesus, well, what about him?
as I was studying this this week, I could just hear Jesus saying to me, Jimmy, because when I'm in trouble, it's always Jimmy. (laughs) You don't worry about him. You follow me. And I, I had some time to repent. And I realized something. I wouldn't trade places for him for all the things in the world. Because what I've, allowed God, what I've been able to see God do in my life in the lives of a whole lot of people was unique for me. It wasn't better or worse. It was unique. And I, like many times in my life, have got to surrender my rights as if I have any. And hear Jesus say to me, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You just follow me. Have you had that monumental moment in your life? I'm not talking about the minute you came to Christ. That is monumental. I'm not questioning that. But as a follower of Christ, have you had that monumental moment in your life? Will you realize that you will never, ever, ever love Jesus as much as he loved you? But you can pour all your affections into him. In the moment in your life when you say, okay, God, I'll follow you regardless. For me, that was my freshman year at a conference in Waco, Texas. And I gave up my rights and said, okay, God, I'll do what you asked me to do. It's not all been successful. I've made some really bonehead mistakes. But you know what encouraged me this, in this? And I just want to leave you with this thought. You might even want to write this down. Write this down. (laughs) This is your thought for the week, okay? With Peter, with Peter, after every failure, there was a follow me. Now that may not sound real profound to you, but it changed my heart this week. Because some of you, look at me, some of you are not progressing in your faith because you're hanging on to failures instead of hanging on to follow me. And I promise you this, if every time you stump your toe, you fall on your face, if you look up to Jesus, I guarantee you he will say to you, follow me.
my challenge for you this morning is be a part of the story. It's not about us, but it involves us. And your life can make a difference. But it only makes a difference because you've learned to follow Jesus. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. And God, I, I just in my heart feel like there may be somebody here this morning who's never ever given their life to Jesus and today maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to them, come. And maybe today... They walked in the door with just a lot of baggage and a lot of hurt. And Father, they'd like to get rid of that this morning. I pray that in the openness of their heart, they would just open their hands to you and just say, God, I need you. I know you've done what's necessary for me to have forgiveness because you died for my sin." This moment, as much as I know how, I give my life to you. Lord, I want to follow you. And Father, if there's anyone in this room today who's never accepted Jesus, I pray they'd recognize his desire to embrace them. And today, they would give their heart and life to Christ. Father, I'm standing in in a room full of believers. God, we've all been disappointed in the way we've loved you. But none of us who really knows the truth can ever say we've been disappointed in the way you've loved us. God, your great commandment to us is not to love everything, but to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love our neighbors we love ourselves. Father, I pray that Christians in this room today would be able to lift their hands in a moment and just say, God, I release my failures to you, and today, Thank you for reminding me that after every failure is a follow. And God, when I leave here in a few minutes, I'll leave here following the Lord Jesus. God, I am so grateful for your grace. And God, this morning, I surrender my rights to you. God, help us today to join the story.